Looking for a one-stop shop for all your audio and video needs? Then look no further than Always Press Record Productions. With over 100 hours of original content produced, Always Press Record Productions has an experienced staff on hand ready to assist you with all your YouTube, podcast, and music video needs. Check them out at alwayspressrecord.com. Once again, that's alwayspressrecord.com. And remember, they press record and you become the star. So when I do the work, it's coming from a whole nother level of passion and commitment. I truly feel like the work that I've done within the communities of Houston, you know, learning the skills to articulate yourself when you have um, certain issues, knowing how to address trauma that you never dealt with before, having certain particular conversations with people that are difficult to have conversations with, but finding a medium to be able to do that. These are what the restorative practices that have helped me do. All right, so welcome back. This is episode eight of Translated Success Podcast. Now, today is going to be a little different. We got a special guest in the building. Um, but we, to get on the topic, we are going to be talking about the school to prison pipeline. Now, after doing a couple, um, re- doing some research on the topic and being about the work, um, I learned a couple of statistics that were kind of mind-boggling to me, and I wanted to bring it to you, and then we have this discussion with everybody that's in the room today. So, um, according to the statistics, approximately 29% of the school population um, is black and Latino students, but yet 70% of in-school arrests are black and Latino students, which is crazy to me. Um, 32% of youth in juvenile detention centers are special needs students, which is also crazy. This is the school to prison pipeline. Unfortunately, this is what's happening across the nation. We have schools where are conditioning our kids to deal with authority and then it's leading them into the criminal justice system, which is causing kids to get incarcerated a lot sooner and then get into the system and it's hard to get out. So I wanted to bring this work, this conversation to the table. This is something that I'm working to break um, in Houston and in New York, and then I'm trying to branch out into other states across the country and then across the world um, with restorative justice and restorative practices within schools and the juvenile system. So to introduce our special guest today, we have a Democratic uh, District Attorney candidate for Harris County in Houston, um, a attorney, a criminal justice reform uh, advocate, a former Division I basketball player at Rhode Island <laughs> College, Rhode Island University, mm-hmm. and then also she is a mother, a loving mother, a wife, and a good friend of mine, Audia Jones. Welcome yeah, to the show. Thank you. How Happy you doing? to be here. Good. I'm yeah, doing good, great. Good, good. Yeah, I love this room. Yeah, it's pretty. Me, actually. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, we want to. <laughs> so we want to make this uh, a, a genuine conversation mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. to uh, talk about the topic of school, the prison pipeline, and I wanted to get your experience on what got you because you are an attorney. What got right. you into law and mm-hmm. practicing law, and mm-hmm. you know what experience did you have to actually inspire you to get into it? Yeah, um, I guess getting into law was not. I, I thought I was going to be the first woman in the NBA. I gotcha, know, gotcha. you know, if anybody's ever heard me talk, I always say that. And I laugh about it, but I was very serious, like, growing up. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that was my life. That was my passion when I got to college. 
I tore my ACL, my Achilles, and a ligament in my thumb. So I was like, well, you know what? Maybe it's not meant to be. And, uh, you know, what do I want to do? Um, and so I know I'm a competitor. I knew that if I focused on a goal, I would achieve it. I mean, that's what I had seen all my life is if I put a measuring stick somewhere, I would make myself reach it. Mm. And uh, it just so happened. I was like, okay, well, you know, what do I want to do? I had already gradu graduated from college. And um, I was just thinking, I was like, well, I like to watch Judge Mathis and Judge Judy. I know a lot of people laugh at that. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, and they had even though that was the only thing I had seen as far mm. as a lawyer goes, because even though I have such a big family, I don't have any attorneys that yeah. I know about in my family. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I laughed, but I was like, I really liked watching it. I, I like what they were able to do. And uh, so I went to law school mm. and uh, went to Texas Southern University right here yeah, in Houston and uh, fell in love with Houston. And at first I thought I was going to be like an uh, NFL agent. Because I mm. thought that was going to be my tie to still stay with sports and okay. tie in cool. the law. So I was like, well, maybe I'll do that. Um, but ended up being very, very good at criminal law. Mm. Uh, so I was a criminal law tutor my second year in law school. Um, and so essentially that's what, you know, long story short, that's what got me into the law. is Just figuring out what my passion was, even though it was like a television show. That was the access and the exposure I had to to attorneys. Gotcha, gotcha, so. gotcha. That's cool. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Um, Everybody has a different path. Yeah, so that's cool. Yeah. That's good to hear. Um, so what was um, what was like your your introduction to mm. being an attorney? Like your first experience, and how mm. was that? What did that look like? You mean like a practicing attorney? Yes, a practicing. Okay, attorney. okay, yeah, a practice. Yeah. So there's a difference between a, an attorney that practices law gotcha. versus just being an attorney. Sure. Um, because uh, at first I was uh, just an attorney once I got licensed. So the first place I got licensed was actually Maryland. Um, so I moved after I went to law school here in Houston, I moved back to the DC area, got licensed in, in Maryland and began working on Capitol Hill. Gotcha. So I worked for a Texas representative. Now, yeah. when you're, um, a, she's a Democrat, I'm very well known here. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, when you're working on Capitol Hill, you're not practicing. So I dealt with a lot of like <clears throat> legislation, just, uh, reviewing it, seeing, you know, how it helped or hurt the democratic, um, you know, our democratic constituents, yeah. um, and really just doing a lot of analysis with the law, but not really, um, practicing it. So I didn't apply it to anything. I wasn't applying it to anything. I was really given a breakdown to tell the congressional member I worked for to say, Hey, you know, vote for this. Don't vote for this. This is good yeah. for the people in, in the community. This is not. Um, so that was like some exposure that I got with the criminal justice reform, mm. um, but really never really understood just how messed up our system was until I started working there. Mm. So what I will say is my first experience as a practicing attorney, fast forward a couple years later, um, when I came to Houston, uh, I was in a courtroom, my first courtroom experience, this is the thing that stands out, my first courtroom experience, I had served the wrong party mm. to a lawsuit, and it's a funny story, it was like a civil claim served the wrong party, nobody showed up. I was the only one in the courtroom with the judge and I almost tripped over the rug because Damn. I was so nervous. Gotcha. <laughs> so gotcha. I laugh about this to that to, to this day. Like I I literally I don't even know what the I was like shaking, yeah, yeah. only attorney, nobody else was there. Um anyways, I got reset and that case we, we worked it out. But that was my first experience as a practicing attorney. Gotcha. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Very did you have any experience before that? You were just thrown into uh, the situation, or did you, like you 
observe um, mm -hmm, other mm -hmm. attorneys go through the process? Yeah, yes. Okay, so very briefly, when, when I was in law school, yeah. I uh, was a uh, law clerk, a summer law clerk for the United States District Court for the District of Columbia. Okay. So I, I was in D.C., it was federal cases, you know, they handle federal and the state area okay. cases. Um, but I, at that time, I was like a, a first-year law student. I didn't even really know what I was looking at. Mm. Uh, so I really didn't know what to process. Um, but fast forward before that first experience where I almost tripped on a rug, uh, my boyfriend, who's now my husband, we both went to law school together, so I watched some of his proceedings before oh, so, I started okay, okay. practicing. That's, that's pretty cool. That's, yeah. a, that's a dynamic duel right there, I yeah, would say. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so uh, with that, I know you mentioned a little bit about uh, criminal justice reform. Yes. And from your experience, I, I appreciate your vulnerability mm -hmm. and your mm -hmm. openness to talk about your experience and knowing how you built the way to get to where you are now. Right. Um, and I've seen you out there uh, doing the work and, and, mm -hmm. and preaching your message about criminal justice reform. Right. If you could give our audience a little um, detailed explanation of what criminal justice reform is, and what is the mission behind it right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. I, I literally reforming our whole system. I mean, it, just doing a revamp of what it is right now. Right now, what we have, what we've seen, not just here in Harris County, but across the country, is we've seen mostly a criminal system. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's even hard to say criminal justice system. Mm. Um, what we want to do and, you know, what we've seen in smaller areas where they are reforming uh, their, their criminal system. Uh, systematically across the country using district attorneys, uh, getting in, you know, the right progressive candidates um, through judges, um, through county commissioners, things of that nature. Um, what we see is that, you know, we're looking at the last 50 years of what we've done um, as, a, as a government and saying, hey, everything we've done, criminalizing people who are poor, mm. uh, criminalizing people who are suffering from mental health issues, uh, criminalizing individuals because of their ethnicity, yeah. Um, and criminalizing people just because they can't afford to get out of jail is literally making our communities less safe. So our whole goal was to say, hey, let's, you know, let's make a safe community. I think everybody can agree on that, no matter what your background is. Um, but what we've been doing by throwing people in jail, even if it's for two to five days, um, saying, hey, let's do a cash bail system yeah. where we're systematically oppressing people that are poor. Um, targeting kids. We've had privatized pris prisons. Uh, our juvenile facilities have become privatized and human beings have literally become assets and commodities. Mm. Um, and so what we have right now is slavery by another name. I don't mm. know if there's another way to say it in a nice way, but we have slavery by another name and we've seen progressive district attorneys across the country because many times that position is so overlooked. Mm. And what a lot of people don't understand is District attorneys are single-handedly the most powerful actors in our criminal system right now. Mm. Um, and so it is important to understand what their role is and um, what we're trying to do. But what we're trying to accomplish literally is essentially what you do, the restorative aspect yeah. of saying, hey, let's bring restorative justice. <coughs> let's bring justice into mm. our criminal system that we have right now. Yeah. Um, let's do things that are going to steer people in the right direction. Let's target um, what the real reason of why they continue to come back into the jails, into the prisons. Um, people have different motivations. So if someone is suffering from mental health issues, we cannot arrest our way out of that. Right. Sticking them in jail cell is not going to fix that. Yeah, if they're yeah. drug addicted, sticking them in a jail cell is not fixing that. Yeah. If we're, um, you know, if they're if they're homeless or poor, sticking them in a jail cell is not not doing it. What you're mm -hmm. doing is putting them in a worse position that they were in before. You're putting them back on the street because they released them and and 
drop them back on the street in more of a dismal place than they were before, yeah. which essentially you're a human being. You're essentially uh, eventually going to do things that escalate because if I don't have it, guess what? I might come to your house and take yeah, it. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I, I think it's very important to bring you on to, to have this conversation um, because I, with the work that I do, once again, restorative justice, I work within schools, high mm -hmm. schools, middle schools, elementaries with restorative practices and trying mm -hmm. to implement that with schools. And what I'm trying to do is build awareness and um, the work that I've done with my curriculum that I've built, right. I'm trying to uh, help teachers understand, build awareness with teachers mm -hmm. to identify like biases that we all have mm -hmm. and, and, and be able to address that properly so that you can build proper relationships and identify different types of communication right. um, and, and dealing with, with uh, students mm -hmm. and try to mm -hmm. look at discipline in a different way. Yes. Right. Um, and making it like a, a lifestyle because it does connect. Mm -hmm. um, and I think bringing you on is very essential because restorative practices within schools connects very closely, coincides with criminal justice reform. Because it is the same thing. The schools are struggling with discipline and constantly not having funding to like bring in programs like restorative practices. And this is what brought my motivation to come in and go into schools and, and, and help build these programs mm -hmm. and practices with teachers and the students uh, to build awareness to be able to build relationships. Um, because that's where it starts. Like I said before, kids are being conditioned from in school how to deal with authority. Mm -hmm. And if teachers don't have proper training, and I went through the system as an educator and not having proper um, like resources or trainings to actually know how to deal with conflict, mm -hmm. not only with students, but mm -hmm. in my own life. Right. Like I didn't know how to like address certain things. I had to figure that out. And most people don't have certain experiences to like figure it out. And then mm -hmm. they're caught in situations with students and then students learn from their teachers and then they go onto the street and then deal with authority the same way that they thought they could deal with it in school and then right. it's a ripple effect. Right. So um, with what, what I wanted to ask you, what do you think um, to help the school, to break the school to prison pipeline yeah. thing in schools can be done to kind of like make it change? Yeah, so I think it's like a different uh, different step approach. I think the first thing we need to look at is, is like you said, the statistics, the numbers. Um, one in three African-American men will come into contact with our criminal justice system. Yeah. And what people don't understand is when we arrest people or when we even send them to jail for nonviolent offenses, which right now 77% of our Harris County jail is in there for nonviolent offenses, we essentially create more victims. Hmm. We create unseen victims, which a lot of times are the children that are in the schools, yeah. right? So now it trickles to our kids where they it's, it's normal for them to see uh, parents in jail. And that goes for any ethnicity, right? Mm. So we see it's become essentially a class system where it's a caste system, mm. where it's not just targeting uh, African-Americans, but it's also targeting the white population, targeting our undocumented population, where it's become a normalcy for those, you know, for many of the kids to see that. Now we want them, we expect them to go to school and learn just like everybody else, sit through class, focus on homework when they might be the only one that's, that's bringing in money, you know, for their family. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think it's important for us as a, I guess for me not to get too far off track, but for us as a, a criminal justice system or what we intend to do as a district attorney's office is to bring a friendly face back into the school system. I think mm -hmm. one of the things we talked about is, um, you know, sometimes the smallest thing can can change a, a child's um, 
path in life. Mm -hmm. And knowing that there are people out there that support them or care about them, even if it's not a blood relative. But having like district attorneys or assistant district attorneys um, go out to the schools, um, you know, teaming up with the various schools that make up Harris County. And that mostly is the public school system. Mm -hmm. You know, 40% of the juvenile cases that come through the juvenile courts in Harris County are school-related offenses. So it's like, you know, when did pulling the fire alarm end up getting you arrested? When did getting in a fight not get you in school suspension rather than now it's putting you in handcuffs and foot foot cuffs and walking you out in front of a whole school? You know, when did, uh, I don't know, playing a prank on a, on a teacher that's not violent, that's not threatening. How did that in, land our kids in a juvenile facility? Mm-hmm. So those are the things we need to look at. And, and as far as taking a proactive approach, you know, we spend $137 million a year in taxpayer money mm. running the Harris County Jail, which is the largest mental health facility. So, mm. you know, imagine if we cut those resources down and said, hey, let's give these people the help that they really need. Let's build additional mental health facilities. Let's team up with mental health facilities that already exist. Let's get drug uh, drug rehabilitation centers. Let's send those individuals there. That money can go towards education, improving educational systems, looking at alternative uh, alternative ways to, to discipline a kid. Not even, I don't even say discipline. You know, we have kids, you got you get labeled the bad kids, right? Yeah. And those a lot of times are the best leaders. It's just re-steering re- their focus um, and shaping it, you yeah. know? So, I, I mean, I have a two-year-old son, and his energy is, like, off the chain. I don't even know when that came overnight. And, you know, but it's like, how do we steer that energy into a positive way? Oh, well, they talked about... In other places, they use uh, meditation. So now, instead of you know calling the police and having them come in and take take the kids away, well, let's let's send them to meditation yeah. um, in school. Right. Or you know, so we have to look at alternative measures, but we definitely have to take a pro proactive approach, um, and it's our responsibility as a um, criminal just if we want to be justice oriented um, to get to the children before they get to us yeah. in a negative way. I agree. I think the the biggest thing you said is like um, the kids that are labeled right mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. the bad kids are usually the ones that have the leadership qualities oh, yeah. that we're looking right for. It's just all about redirecting. Mm-hmm. Now it's all about the, and I, I saw that personally when I was at Chickasha High School. Mm-hmm. I dealt with a, a class called the Restorative Justice Council where I had a mix of a very diverse group of kids that had different experiences, mm-hmm. um, and I seen that head on, like kids that were usually in trouble, mm-hmm. um, be able to step up and, and if just setting the, just giving them exposure mm-hmm. to a different type of style of teaching or a different type of environment that you can create within the classroom, right? right? But also creating space and time for that with teachers having so much on their plate, being able to find, that's why I'm trying to fill that gap where mm-hmm. like building a curriculum where you can implement a lesson where you could just break down and just have like conversations with student to student conversations or like that that can be implemented into their curriculum that's already made mm-hmm. um, where they're breaking down stuff and, and learning how to communicate with each other and bringing awareness to what's going on with them. Um, so I think that's very essential. I think mm-hmm. uh, bringing that to the table and, and educating people on that, like, yes, those kids are leaders. It's right. all about redirecting yeah. and giving them a different route. Um, with you, uh, I know we spoke about this before mm-hmm. uh, with things that could be done. And I mentioned this. Is it possible? Mm-hmm. Because I do think like it's essential to bring uh, different types of faces from different positions in the environment that the kids are in. Oh, yeah. Right. But like, how do we make that realistic with kids not looking like, oh, they're just doing it for show or mm-hmm. they're just doing mm-hmm. it for the TV or, like, you know, what I mean, those right. little clips. Right. Um, 
something that we talked about is uh, possibly working with law enforcement mm -hmm. and schools. And I know we spoke about that more. I wanted you to expand on that. Like what, mm -hmm. how, what can be done realistically? What are some things that we can do to like build the relationship better with um, law enforcement and schools? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things we talked about was like having liaisons from the district attorney's office mm -hmm. that are paired with uh, law enforcement officers. So like before, I, you guys look like you're around my age, but like they had a dare program at one yeah, time yeah, yeah, sure. where, you know, you'd see the officers come in and you'd be like, you know, Mr. Officer would be super friendly, um, would give you like advice, feedback. Hey, here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. Here's what my job entails. Um, and they would talk to you on like a human level. Hmm. Um, and I think, you know, in those times compared to what we've seen now, there's a complete breakdown of trust between law enforcement and the community, community and rightfully so mm -hmm. because of what we've seen. Um, but, but it can absolutely be done because there's some great officers out there. I've met them before. You know, what we won't support is bad officers and what we won't support are bad prosecutors, mm. um, or a misuse or abuse of that power or authority. Um, so what we want to do is, is use the individuals we have in the district attorney's office and say, you know, Hey, you know, when creating this criminal justice system entails a variety of different hats. Yeah. Um, and so when I say we want to partner with every school, like we've already started reaching out to different schools to say, hey, can we do something where either on a monthly basis or on a quarterly basis, we bring an officer um, and a prosecutor and we talk about it just wearing normal clothing, yeah. just wearing normal clothing, because sometimes the littlest things can bring down a kid's guard. Mm -hmm. um, and I know my mother, who was a teacher for 30 years, um, who recently just retired, was just like, you know, kids can really sense who cares about them and who does not. Yeah. Um, and just really screening the, the people that we send out as representatives, yeah. um, make sure they can talk on a human, uh, a normal level. Mm -hmm. And when I say normal, I, most people are like, oh, you're an attorney. I'm like, yeah, you just, you just, you don't have to talk legalese. You can just, yeah. <laughs> just talk normal. All right. I mean, we're all human beings. Yeah. So, uh, just being able to talk to them in a, in a warm, welcoming, friendly environment. Um, and knowing that we're going there, trying to give them motivation that yeah. they can be like us or better than us. Yeah. Um, yeah. as long as they stick to the tick, stick to the script no matter you know what's going on at home, but then also give them an outlet in case something is going on to say, hey, here's my card. If you need somebody, call me. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's I think that'll be great. I mm -hmm. think getting law enforcement, like you said, we spoke mm -hmm. about this, having them in plain clothes, nobody knowing that they're an officer, yeah. just them being there and being in the environment and then learning, building awareness amongst themselves to like see how kids communicate, different communities, how they go about doing things or how they, you know what I mean? So right. that they're not feeling uncomfortable when mm -hmm. things come up in their in their day job. Right. You know what I mean? As right. officers working in certain communities and seeing how what's been going on all over the news and constantly with uh, law enforcement is getting caught up and it's looking like they're just not understanding of how people mm -hmm. are communicating this escalating to right. something that shouldn't be what it is. And I think that's something very big that can actually help. I know DeAndre, he, he does behavioral um, classes with students in the elementary. And I, I met Jay um, in um, Yes Prep. Okay. And he was, okay. uh, he was a support uh, counselor and um, behavioral specialist at Yes Prep uh, Galston. And he did a lot of work with the students. And I know that's something that mm -hmm. would be very big, even giving exposure to those kids and, mm -hmm. and having the, the, the law enforcement experience what Dre deals with on a daily basis um, dealing with kids. So I think that's that's very big. Yeah. 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 So, um, now, with, um, with the law enforcement uh, coming into schools, is there anything else that um, could be done to, like, help 
break the uh, school to prison pipeline. Mm -hmm. Like, but seeing like how how restorative mm -hmm. justice mm -hmm. and criminal justice reform could come together, I think the the law enforcement partnership could be essential. Is there anything mm -hmm. else that? I think, you know, first and foremost is a decline of prosecute list. Mm. You know, there are certain cases that I just talked about, like the school-related instances that typically kids get in-school suspension for, or if they're in a private school, yeah. they're going to handle it in school. Yeah, the yeah. problem is, you know, a majority of, of the, the kids that, are, that come from lower-income homes or yeah. uh, that are minorities <laughs> are going to public schools. So they're being used to fill that that uh, that void that they're the commodities right yeah, so yeah. it's uh it's it's what i have seen firsthand it's like a training ground for you know you go to the juvenile facility they're in leg shackles hand shackles mm. for like low level like non-violent offenses and you're like well if you go over to the felony court and people are are charged with murder they don't even have hand handcuffs and leg shackles yeah. So it's um it's it's like you said it's a conditioning but we have a decline to prosecute that we've already stated we would do for school related offenses, um as long as it's nonviolent um you know nonviolent to an extent uh, kids get in fights I've I've seen them firsthand some of my closest friends in high school and mm -hmm. and even middle school or elementary school but if as long as it doesn't escalate to something above, um what children do um or a sexual offense, mm. um that would be handled in the system. There's no need for us to step in. Yeah. That that's something that needs to be handled in in school. Um, so that's the first thing. I think the second thing is that we, you know, we want to talk about is even doing different trainings with uh, school administrators, yeah. school faculty uh, to talk to them about, hey, this is why we're declining it. Let's talk about, you know, what, are there any resources we could provide to you all uh, as far as dealing with the law um, or understanding how to deal with the children or somebody we can bring in. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that's another thing. And other than that, I'm trying to think I had something in my mind, but it, it, it took off. I know we said, I said a decline to prosecute list. Um, oh, an alternative, uh, alternative measures yeah. when the kids do come to the juvenile facility. Yeah. So when we do have those, uh, violent offenses, yeah. um, or we have those sexually related offenses, I think one of the main things is let's make the juvenile, uh, facilities an exception rather than the norm. Hmm. Um, someone told me one time a child will burn down a village in order to build one. Mm. And so that's, that's real, you know, and, and, um, if we know that we know we can take alternative measures to say, Hey, okay, if we have this kid that broke into a house and, and stole some money, you know, instead of just sticking him, uh, him or her in a facility, let's look at different things we can do. We can make him you know, make him or her come face to face with the victims, write an mm. apology letter, um, use their whatever they're good at, you know, whatever their passion or drive is. So let's say little Mikey paints. Yeah. And we'll say, okay, well, you're going to apologize to the victim. The victim wants XYZ painting. So now you're going to paint this for the victim. Mm, that's pretty cool. And in addition to that, you broke the window. You're going to follow a, a, a person who fixes windows for the for about five or six hours. So that would be your community service to work off the amount that's going to be it's going to take to pay back okay. for that broken window. Gotcha. You know, so we and and I, it, you know, so at some point people might be like, oh, that's hippie stuff. But it literally is going on right now across the country in smaller areas. And it's working. Yeah. It's working. It's been proven to work. So we're not doing something that that's never been done before. Hmm. We're just implementing it into the third largest county in the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. That's that's pretty dope. Yeah, that's pretty dope. I would love to see that happen. I think um, working in schools too, like like seeing that firsthand, where um, the students are not being they're not being taught 
like what they did, not being taught how to correct right. what is being done, right? right? It's all about focusing on punishment. And I think it's, it's a lot to do. And I think this is what's happening in law enforcement too. Um, from the educational side, um, there's so much like the, the teachers have to focus on, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They have their workload is yeah. so much already. And then right. to be able to have to focus on the disciplinary actions to take um, on each day right. in different classes with different students, it's, it becomes a lot. So it's understandable, but like there has to be something done to like build the, the teaching awareness and uh, give the, whether it's even, I believe, um, paying teachers more yeah. the job, oh, being absolutely. able to do the absolutely. job like that. If you if you pay teachers more on a higher scale, you'll get better teachers, more people, right. it'll be harder to get in. Mm -hmm. you get the top of the line teachers wanting to stay. Yeah. And then, you know, because being an educator, and even me, like I left education after nine years, yeah. um, trying to move up and do better with my, my my career and, you know, give more opportunities for my family right. and my next generation. So right. I think that, that, that would be real big to like kind of like start building that outside in the criminal justice reform mm -hmm. um trying to do like a creation uh correction um process for um kids younger kids trying to learn from their mistakes and and build a process and now yeah and i think it you know it's gonna take a it's gonna take a village i think yeah, you know sure. and i understand that the, uh, most of these teachers are underpaid and overworked mm -hmm. um and and a lot of them are doing it from the genuine care of, of their heart our kids are in, you know, our, our niece that we raise is in HISD, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, we have a, uh, we have our own personal stake in that. But it's like, you know, we won't just say, hey, you guys were declined to prosecute, you handle it. It's like, hey, let us provide the resources and support you need. Yeah. So even if that looks like, you know, sending having a liaison that works directly with the school. So when they call, it's not intake, so we take the charges. But it's like, hey, how do I handle this child? Yeah. What What do you think, you know, what would be a good resource? Do you guys have organizations that you're working with already that we can tie them in with? Yeah. Um, so it's not literally just dropping their hand and be like, good luck with that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's, it's saying, hey, let's keep them. They don't need to come through. They don't need to get processed. They don't need to get arrested. They don't need to come to our facilities. They don't need to come to the DA's office. They don't need to come to court. But, hey, let us give you some kind of guidance um, from our end. So I think that's important. And being able to sit down at the table, I think even when we did our lunch and learn and yeah. you all sat down and just you gave feedback, yeah. you know, being to be a leader, you have to listen as well. For sure. I don't know For everything. Sure. You were in education. I wasn't. Yeah. Um, so I was in law. And so maybe there's something I can you can learn from me and vice versa. But we have to be there to listen to our teachers, yeah. be there to listen to our, our administrators, hear what their issues are and then create a solution from yeah. there. I, yeah, like I remember um, when I was at Kitchener High School, one thing that was very important for me, because the kids were actually, I had 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds actually mm -hmm. going through stuff. Mm -hmm. I remember like if one of my students um, came up and was like, hey, he pulled me aside and he was like, hey, I'm dealing with this um, this ticket that I got and I mm -hmm. feel like there was something not right, like right. his experience with the, the law enforcement. Um, and I, like, there were certain things that I couldn't answer. I didn't know. Right. 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 Uh, so what I did was I used, um, I knew somebody that was an attorney herself. Mm -hmm. Um, and she had practiced law and she was going into schools and she was trying to find opportunities. So I brought her in okay. and I had her do like, um, a class, uh, where she came in and, and, and talked about certain laws and what to do when you get pulled over, okay. Okay. uh, things to say, things not mm -hmm. to say, mm -hmm. what to be aware of, what, what you can do, what you can't do. Um, and then just answer a bunch of questions and it like changed everything. And that was just one day and I, I could only do it one day right. um, because of the way the school system was set up. Right. Um, 
and the flexibility we had and certain things that had to be uh, accepted before. Yeah. But like finding ways to even have things like that mm -hmm. um, accessible to our students is essential. Like I, yeah. I think like that experience like helped those kids and then they stayed in connection with the lady and asked, I remember one of them was asking them asking her questions. She made herself available mm -hmm. to the students and that um, gave the contact information. They asked questions when needed and was going through things and stuff okay. like that, which That's is good. I didn't see growing up. Okay. And I thought that was that was very powerful to see and I, I just want to see that more often. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. um how is that like is that even a possibility to actually make realistic going forward? Absolutely. Yeah. And you've already seen it happen before. Yeah. It's a possibility. Yeah, it's yeah. more than a possibility. True. I mean, look, I think at the end of the day, it's the same thing I always say. It's like, you know, you have these people that come out with these like false narratives and yeah. uh, the fear mongering. Yeah, they're going to let all the killers and rapists and robbers out of jail if we do the mm -hmm. cash bail reform dealing with misdemeanors that only deal with offenses where people serve less than one year in jail. Mm. You know, you, you got to understand what realm you're dealing with. You have to, uh, knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that I'm like, hey, they're, if they're already doing it, if you've seen it done before, it can always be done again. Yeah. Um, it just takes someone that has the courage to do it, um, that is not affiliated with a special interest. You know, too much, uh, you know, not to, to, to make it a, a wide scope, but just dealing with the, our current district attorney, like a lot of her action that you see, I don't know why she's doing it. Um, the negative uh, actions that have, have been like pretty much killing our communities. Um, but it's like, you got to think there's got to be like underlying special interests that are tied to it. So what we need to do is just be more informed when we're uh, voting, um, when we're electing people, go out and vote. Um, parents go out and vote. Um, you know, your student, your child, if they turn 17, you know, encourage them to vote and understand the importance of it and the power behind it. Even one vote. Everybody only has one vote. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, yes, that could absolutely be done. I mean, we are the, what, we're the second largest district attorney's office in, yeah. in the United States. We have plenty of resources, plenty of people. Um, with the way our criminal system is working right now, we are literally like throwing money down the drain, yeah. um, recycling people in and out of jail. Like I said, we're the largest mental health facility in the state of Texas. Mm. $137 million of tax money filtering into the jails to do what? Yeah, yeah. To have those same individuals who are suffering from mental health issues get let back on the street and then get rearrested again to continue Cycle. suffering through their issues. Yeah. So it's like, hey, why don't, let's take some of those resources, let's take those individuals, get them what they need, which is mental health specialists, and let's take some of that money and, and hit the education trail. And yeah. um, we already have the people, because I've worked in the office, we have the people that we can send out there. Awesome. Even though her turnover rate right now is horrible. Mm. Um, we would have to, you know, it's going to take some rebuilding. It's not going to be easy. But. Awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, um, I know with uh, with our experience, I know Dre, with uh, his experience with the behavioral specialist, I know usually also um, to go back on like how kids are being conditioned. Like mm -hmm. I know, and Dre could speak on um, his experience with this, having kids like where um, kids are being like destructive in classes, yeah. right? And then yeah. finding other people, and Dre was the guy that he would come and, and help teachers out like mm -hmm. how to deal with the student. Um, and how like finding other ways to like go about that like and that's why i'm big on like training mm -hmm. like for the teachers yeah. um to support because i know with, with, with dre him having to come in and i think he spoke about it in the last episode talking about like how a teacher wanted to um 
wanted you to scare another student, right? Um, because he is not behaving in her class and how, what the effects and the impact that can have on um, students and, and children. And when you say scare, like scare like how? Um, <clears throat> well, it's not, let me back up, it's not, um, it's more often than mm-hmm. what, he's, what mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's saying. It's like, mm-hmm. that's sometimes the normal thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and a lot of times it just simply comes with the title, right? Behavior mm-hmm. specialist. So mm-hmm. that equals for a lot of people as the person that makes that kid stop being bad oh, or whatever, gotcha. right? So gotcha. a lot of times, like, I'll just walk down the hallway and you'll randomly hear, oh, I got someone needs to be in your class. I got somebody else that needs to mm-hmm. be in your mm-hmm. class. And I'm like, okay, that kid's been giving up on, oh, that kid's been giving right, up on, right? right you know? Right. So, um, but um, the the situation um, that he was speaking on, um, again, it does happen a lot, like, to where, you know, if a kid will act up and they would want me to come in and just intimidate him to stop. Gotcha. And, um, you know, what I was saying is, like, I, I had to, and at first, you know, I'm like, okay, that must be what I'm supposed to do. But then I had to start thinking, is like, mm-hmm. okay, if everyone's, because, again, I'm, I'm, in elementary, so they're mm. kindergarten through fifth grade. Okay. So I'm like, okay, you want every kid's first experience with a black guy to be scared, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of these kids, they're gonna go to be a police officer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're you're feeding into that that right. that, that uh, narrative that mm-hmm. be scared of a, a, a big black guy, right? You right. know, mm-hmm. and um, and so um, I had to explain to the president and that. Uh, one, like I, uh, we had talked about too, I have to almost check myself to be like, you know, not to react too offended mm-hmm. by that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can be able to explain how, number one, if even if it worked, mm-hmm. what are you at that after that? Right, right. right. Like if I'm able to scare this kid into being good, right. once I leave, then what? Then that's it. Yeah. Right. right. That's one of the things I said too. Um, I don't want to do that for mm-hmm. year after year after year right. after year. So um, you have to almost find a different way because it gets tiring mm-hmm. simply mm-hmm. scaring people and intimidating people because you can only go so far. Right. You know, like I can't touch them. I right. can't uh, arrest them. I can't, you know, give them the ultimate, yeah. which what ends up happening is um, you'll get teachers who would – use that tactic right mm-hmm. they they're so uh bent on obedience and mm-hmm. and pretty much do what i say mm-hmm. so right so they go into the to, to threaten back and forth mm-hmm. right they, they get their pride gets touched and so they're, they're going back and forth so now they're like okay i'm going to do the ultimate mm-hmm. well what happens when you can't do the ultimate mm-hmm. what happens when schools get the narr- to get that directive saying no more suspensions for kids second grade and under mm-hmm. now you make the kid look worse right now all of a sudden i think that kid is a new uh, uh, a label mm-hmm. right now you're now we're looking more because i can't do what i want to do so i'm going another route right. right right and so um you'll get um a lot of kids that simply um didn't have a strong first teacher mm-hmm. now they're on their path into the behavior right. class which is pretty much similar like i guess i, I would say the elementary school version of the school prison pipeline gotcha. right um you can't like you said uh a lot of the, I think at this point, all of them, but mm-hmm. I know uh, most of them, there are no suspensions in mm-hmm. middle, I mean, elementary school, um, at least at, at, 
like 12th, I'm second grade and under, right. you know, um, and even if even the ones that are above that, you'd have to, you know, level five defense weapons, uh, mm. you know, striking the teacher and stuff like right. that, like the most yeah. um, that would finally get you suspended. So, mm. of course, when I take that out, um, they got to find other ways to move a kid. Right. right? Yeah. So the easiest way to move a kid is to say that, oh, he has behavior problems. Mm-hmm. Let's find a label, slap on him, and then right. we can get him to a class like mine. Right. 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 And just like you acknowledged, um, it's easy to get in, mm-hmm. but hard to get out. Yeah. So it's almost like when it's time for that kid to leave my class mm-hmm. because, um, you know, I get, I have a, um, I want to say like a, high turnaround rate Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. at least every year Mm -hmm. i get you know a good group the ones that i receive that are ready to go back yes but are they ready to be received right and that's Mm -hmm. the problem right right like they can make their mind up that they're ready to change and ready to get better and ready to do that but will they be accepted when they go back or will that label follow them and every teacher that has a problem knows that if they just push that button then they can get the kid out right and i think that's where it lends to like supporting you know, the teachers to say, hey, we cannot, we got to give people second chances. I mean, it almost seems like people that once they're in the criminal, have a criminal record, they get out in society, you're like, oh, okay, they already served their time, but now they can't get a job, they can't get housing, they can't get anything they need because now they have the scarlet letter on them. So I I, I feel like, like um, too, um, just kind of like, like how you did, right? Like mm-hmm. you saw a problem and, you, and it's not like you were like, all right, let me be an officer. Right. right. It's like district attorney because they're the ones who, uh, are the power right? Right, right same thing in school it's like yes the teachers you know should be paid more for their services mm-hmm. but the change is going to come from who makes mm-hmm. the policy mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like if you're going to make a policy that says this kid can do this this and this or a teacher can do or school can decide that and this and the standards right, right? and then so, be able to put that kid yeah. in there then there should also be a way yeah. out yeah. That should also be a standard way out, as 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 like okay, he's going to go back after so long. Yeah, right. right. Jail isn't forever, so why is the behavior class forever? Right. Yeah. right. You see what I'm saying? So I think that it should be you know to where they get their therapy, their mm-hmm. whatever their services that they're getting, mm-hmm. but just as easy as it was for them to come in, they should there should be a pathway back out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like and okay. and I mean in so many ways back in society mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. because you're coming to my class you're just surrounded by everybody else who got to put out right right and it, it's crazy because you hear stories in this modern time now where you hear stories over and over black white Latino mm-hmm. um, Asian whatever uh, that were not necessarily good students and were bad in school and right. then ended up being right. super successful mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you still have teachers saying oh you're not going to be successful because you're not good in school which makes no sense to me like me and my wife had this conversation the other day where we're talking about where kids are being labeled still and then being judged and it goes with them throughout their my wife is in middle school so she sees them go from middle school to high school right right and and still seeing the trend go on and it makes complete it completely makes no sense Mm -hmm. because we we see the trend of like like you said at the beginning like so most uh kids that are labeled the bad kids uh, have leadership qualities And sometimes their life exposes them to certain things that kind of want to make a switch, mm-hmm. and then they figure it out and then end up being super successful. Why can't that switch happen in schools? Well, right? but the, like you said, though, um, well, I'm sorry, I think she said it, like the uh, when you asked, like, what 
can we do to fix it? Yeah. And pretty much is to educate, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To go in there and inform people. Well, you look at the statistics, like ones you would see uh, that get in behavior class, well, most of their parents aren't educated or mm-hmm. not involved mm-hmm. yeah. to where they don't know that you can say, no, I don't want my kid right. in the behavior right. class. Yeah. No, I want you to do more for him while he's in class versus, yeah. mm-hmm. you know what, y'all call me three times a day. If this is the only way that right. I stop getting phone calls, I'm going to allow my kid to get in the system. And, you know, work with them like that. Right. Well, like you said, at that point, you're recycled because, I, let's say, well, and it shouldn't happen, but, I mean, imagine a first grader getting put in a behavior class in one year of school, right? right? So that yeah, shouldn't yeah. happen, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But let's say it does. I have four years to get him out mm-hmm. before he goes into middle school yeah. with the same label, mm-hmm. right? And so you know what happens in, or how it is in a middle school behavior class versus an elementary school behavior mm-hmm. class, right? You get more uh, or higher offenses you get you know more violence you get because those kids are exposed to more so they're going to react or act out more right so you're pretty much saying hey you have you know four years to get this kid out of the system before statistically if you go into middle school with that label you're probably going to graduate high school with the label Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um so like i said it's not only is it hard to get out but it's also hard to sometimes uh, reacclimate back mm-hmm. into the normal classroom environment, mm-hmm. especially if when you go back, you still have the reputation, right? right? The, the, the label that right. where uh, criminals come out of jail and they go apply for a job, they're still there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So when you go into the make teacher's class and they say, oh, you're in the behavior class, mm-hmm. who's going to get targeted every day now? Right. Breaking your conditioning. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah, that's why I think it's very important. I, I love what you're doing. You mentioned how to kind of like... And it, Audie has always been like this. Mm-hmm. I, every mm-hmm. meeting that I go to, she's always like open ears and yeah. willing to learn and, and, and trying to figure out what's actually happening in right. communities, which is big. Um, and it's it's like every time I see it and every time I see you trying to make moves, as you say, you're already trying to make moves to mm-hmm. kind of like mm-hmm. uh, make the changes, which is big because it's needed. And yeah. uh, I believe um, that's the direction we need to go to actually make changes. On a bigger level, we are seeing kids watch kids sitting in those classes with these kids with these labels being treated Mm -hmm. right and then Mm -hmm. they're getting uh, a sense of how you know people are treated right so and then they grow up and they end up being teachers Mm -hmm. and then they have their they grow their biases of like oh this kid reminds me of that kid that used to be in behavior class why isn't this in this school and blah blah blah. and then the culture and i've seen that constantly Mm -hmm. happening with teachers as well where um it's not only the kids that are going through it the kids that are sitting with them that are necessarily that are labeled the good kids or the kids that behave or are obedient they're being exposed to the treatment as well and then they're going out into society with biases and they're unconsciously like you know treating people from their own experiences Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um until they have an experience that contradicts it and then they have to change and adjust but um I think it's, it's very impactful to start, you know. I think it even it. goes deeper than that, though. I mean, you're looking at the parents who's had experiences in school, mm-hmm. and now they're raising their kids to their biases, mm-hmm. yep. right? So uh, I had a, this type of teacher when I was in school, so um, I know this is what's going on in this classroom and, and with my child. And I've even, even at U.S. Prep, had to sit in meetings where, you know, parents would accuse teachers of things that they went through, and I'm like, yeah. this is not what your kid is going through, right. but you're teaching him that that's what's supposed to happen or mm-hmm. that's going to happen or that is happening when it's really not. Um, uh, you know, again, like when you when I finally get to meet parents because, you know, you have to meet with them once a year uh, yeah. for every kid. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I'd finally meet them and, you know, 
of course they are not of course but uh sometimes they would come from behavior past mm-hmm. when they were in school mm-hmm. you know and so they pretty much have their kid going the same route that they went through you know having the same excuses you hear the same things from the kid mm-hmm. and you know sometimes i have to remind them that you're not even an adult yet to be able to use certain excuses that your parents might be using mm-hmm. but you it's it's sometimes still surprises me almost or catches me when i would see that like like you're bringing that narrative directly from right. home to the school like that belief yeah. about you know not being fair or you know uh doing something but trying to argue your way out of it as if you you know didn't like no no fidelity at all mm-hmm. you know yeah. and um again like you said it it, it it comes from sometimes their experiences in school yeah. and they rub it off on the mm-hmm. child. And you find a lot of times that when I am successful at turning a kid around, I probably turned the parent around first, mm-hmm. you know, and then gave that parent a different outlook. Mm-hmm. So that kid started to get a different mm-hmm. outlook, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. That's great. Well, I appreciate you mm-hmm. opening up about that. Um, and I think this, the, the whole point of the podcast is just to have open mm-hmm. conversation, open dialogue yeah. about things that I think uh, should be out there more and just spark up conversation in all different types of communities about what's actually going on from our experiences. Yeah. So uh, I think the, that's I'm great. Like, the biggest thing I took away, like even while you were talking, I'm like, oh, what, what could we do to solve something like that? Yeah. I think yeah. it's creating atmospheres or creating events. I don't even know if it'd just be the district. It would, it's going to take it, it, multiple groups to get together and hold like town halls like we did we've done community town halls before to educate the like you said the parents on yeah. understanding your rights understanding your rights with kids like do, do you just let them label them ADD or ADHD I see when I worked in the juvenile facility or excuse me in the juvenile um, courthouse a lot of those kids would come in that all of a sudden now they're ADD because the school mm. get more money for putting them on medication and they're mm. just kind of um, or they'll be labeled special education or like you said yeah. they'll have a what's the what was the word disorder um, uh, God, there was, uh, no, it was something about like, God, I cannot think of the term right now, but I saw it on like every form that came to them. Mm. Like, is this, does this, is this even real? Like authority deficit disorder or something um, like that. Um, mm. No, um, opposition. Yeah, opposition uh, defiant disorder. Yeah, ODD. The ODD. Yeah. And I'm like, and that's pretty much any kid who argues with an adult. I was like, is this adult. even a real term? Mm. Yeah. I'm like, that's <laughs> teenagers, right? That's, that's typically that's like every teenager in the middle. Period, yeah. you know? <laughs> I, I think, you know, my niece went in her room and I'm like, are you doing your work? And she's like, uh, I'm like, you're not. You know, yeah. does she have ODD? No, no. It's like, you know, you got to understand and know your rights. Um, so you're, you, like you said, when you're educated, when you know better, a lot of times you do better. And obviously there are always bad apples right. with everything. But, yeah. um, I think if we give the community as a whole, um, because most people live below the poverty line, most people don't have access to, to those things. And I think it's our responsibility to give them that access. But that's why I said it's important for different people to come to the table. Cause I'm listening. And even though I'm like, okay, like, okay, I hear him talking. I hear what he's saying. These parents don't know. If they don't know, let's give them a platform where they know understand. and they understand. Oh, I know? definitely love that. I mean, yeah. I know at my school, um, you know, and our team, our special education team, we do mm-hmm. have like monthly parent nights where they come okay. in and we get to speak and talk and um, give them any type of resources that we mm-hmm. have. But um, I mean, I, I was thinking about that as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, mm-hmm. I'd love to see more um, um, resources to educate parents, right. you yeah. know, um, on their rights yep. uh, and understanding that they have the final say so in everything that their kid does or mm-hmm. uh, services mm-hmm. their kid gets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the school may make them feel oh, yeah. that like, you have no choice but mm-hmm. to make right. take this option 
like you said, because sometimes it might cost up the school a little bit sure. more, or mm-hmm. it might get that kid away from the specific teacher that right. doesn't want to deal with them right. anymore. So, um, but so yeah, I definitely love to see, um, and even, you know, her being involved in anything that, um, uh, empowers parents, um, you know, and, and, uh, with information and education about their child's rights. So they, so we can do something Mm -hmm. to, uh, to combat this. Even, even like documentaries, like, um, or the show, the movie, um, and they see us, like Central Park Five, like you see that and you see how long ago it was. But and then being in the education system, you see how mm-hmm. not far away we are from mm-hmm. it. Like I see, I was around students that really don't know a lot of the stuff that these kids didn't know back in right. 1989, right? right? Um, and they were put in situations where they were in desperate need and they mm-hmm. tried to get out and they just signed and said okay. And then they yeah. were put in situations where they ended up doing real time. Right. Or parents. Right? Right, well, you got the one with the, the, the parent talks to man. So now yeah. I'm looking at we're in these meetings scared. with these parents, yeah. and you know all these people are telling this parent, oh, you need, "This is what you need to do." So they're pressured. They don't know. Yeah. Like yeah, they're like, "Okay, true. you know what? Let me go ahead and sign here so right. I can put my kid right. in this class." My kid is gonna get out. I know he didn't do anything, right. and that was the the whole premise. I forgot the name of the kid that his father is the Latino one. Um, where John Leguizamo well, played the father. Him and the the main one whose father um it wasn't Santana. It was oh, it was the the, yes, the one yes. that, that hated his father. Yeah, that, yeah, to this yeah, day, that made him and he, told he, him to he's deceased yeah, yeah, and he said yeah. to this day he hates his father. Um, but he just didn't know any better. They pressured exactly. him. They told him he would lose his job because he had yeah. a felony conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, they threatened him, which it had nothing to do with it. But you got to remember, these people are human beings. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The people are human. And you could feel the love from those parents, even when I was watching when they see us. Um, they just they were horrified. They, they had to figure out how they were going to continue feeding their families, how they're going to get their kids out of this. Um, the only thing that they could find or the only thing that they could see is, which is exactly what we see in Harris County today. And I tell people, I'm like, when they see us, that's not a faraway concept. That's happening right here. Now, even though it might not, may at some point not be on that scale where they're facing like years in prison, we have people that have been exonerated on death row. Mm. Uh, that who are that were wrongfully convicted. We have people that are taking even small pleas to say, "Hey, I'll take a time served, and I'll take a guilty on this criminal trespass or this criminal mischief, just so I can get out and go to work yeah, and yeah. take care of my bills and and survive mm-hmm. and just have the basic human decency." Um, so it's it's not far removed. It's happening every day in our own backyard. So, yeah. but you're right. I think education is key, and that's why throughout our whole campaign, all we've done is educated. I'm not trying to hide the ball on anything. Yeah. Um, we have our learning our le- learning luncheon. You you took over and you hosted one yeah. uh, dealing with the school to prison pipeline. Um, we talked about ending mass incarceration, what that looks like. How do we do that? Decriminalizing marijuana, which isn't done now. It isn't done, you know. And so you get all mm-hmm. these these headlines like, oh, you know, now I can the weed is legal. It's not legal here. So know your rights, understand what it is. Don't get in, in a position where you're going to get in trouble. Let us understand, explain to you what's, you know, uh, the 1325 bill is, yeah. and what does hemp mean? You know, it doesn't it doesn't cover smokable objects? So, you know, so it's like different things like that. Okay, sex workers versus human trafficking. You know, mm. let's talk about some real real stuff and and educate ourselves, and then make an informed decision. Mm. So, that's great. Yeah. Um, 
I think we covered a lot. That yeah. was uh, pretty awesome. I uh, appreciate you coming, Audio. Well, I appreciate um, you guys. Thank if you. If you guys didn't know, Audio traveled about, like, what was it, 48 minutes to get here? Yeah, it yeah. A long okay. drive. <laughs> but we appreciate <laughs> you coming, making the trip. Uh, thank you for uh, coming and um, sharing your story yeah. and um, talking about your mission and how um, things that you're doing and putting into action. Um, so... Before we leave, uh, mm-hmm. if you could tell everybody, if there's yeah. one piece of advice you would give, because one thing I also noticed, too, watching the documentary, When They See Us, yeah. and being in the schools and seeing things happening on a daily basis and kids right. struggling with it, um, kids that do know their rights, I right. do see things still go wrong. Of course. Right? Yeah. Um, like, you can be informed, you can be knowledgeable about things, but then still things don't work out. And yeah. it's evident in the news and everything that's happening in the right. world. What advice would you give as a whole mm-hmm. uh, to the youth in schools right. um, with dealing with criminal justice yeah. and going yeah. out into the world? I think the biggest thing <laughs> that I would say is the takeaway being a mother yeah. um, and um, having a, a brother, you know, growing up. My brother's only like 13 months older than me. Mm. Just, you know, there's a time and a place for everything. So even if you know your rights, sometimes the best time to exercise it might not be then. You know, mm. it might not be then, but document it. Go talk to somebody that you trust. It might not even be your own pa- Your own parent might be your own worst enemy. Mm. Find someone that you trust and that you believe in. Like here we had, we're talking to uh, Leandro. Is Leandro? DeAndre. Okay, that's nice. Okay, DeAndre. Um, we were talking to DeAndre. He was just saying, hey, you know, I got these kids that come in my class. They're with me for a year. If you find, hey, I feel a good sense and a good feeling from from Mr. DeAndre, who's my teacher, go, go, you know, tell him what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, find, find an adult. Find somebody that you trust. Uh, let them know. I think documenting is key. Most kids do have cell phones nowadays. Yeah. Record. Record. We've seen some of the stuff that, that teachers and, and people who abuse their authority, like we see people that abuse their authority outside of the school system. Mm-hmm. You know, the best thing is documentation. I'm an attorney. And I'll tell you, documentation is everything. Yeah. Uh, having video, having recording. I'm not saying pull it out and just have it in their face, but in your pocket, <laughs> you know, put it on a record. Easy recording. It's a great recording app. It's free. Uh, but, but all that stuff, protect yourself. Again, there is a time and a place for everything. If you realize something's getting escalated, you be the one to de-escalate it. Sometimes you have to be smarter than the adult that's 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 making the situation worse. Mm, that's key. Sometimes you gotta be, and, and and sometimes some some of these kids are, you know, and that whole troublemaker, bad kid, good kid, you know, kids are still kids, and yeah, um, sure. the ones that are are the most disruptive are the ones that are looking for attention. So we got to remember, even as teachers, as parents, uh, they're looking for attention. So we got to figure out why are they looking for this attention? How do we get to the core of this? How do we fill that gap that they're missing that's mm. causing them to go to school and seek that attention? Mm. Um, or how do we harness their their natural ability to like stand out in front of everybody, even if it's acting like a clown? How do we change that to being the leader? Yeah, when sure. I go speak at classes, when I always there's always like that one or two kids. You know, one little boy, his name was Deshaun, just like my husband. So I was like, hey, come up here. And he was the one, he was a bad kid. Uh, one, I had one of the teachers called him a thug even later on down the line, which I was like, no, we're not, we're not doing that. Um, but uh, I brought Deshaun up there with me, little bitty thing. Teacher's like horrified of him. How old was he? Um, he might have been in like it? fifth grade, fifth fourth grade? or fifth grade. Fourth he's tiny, That's tiny crazy. though. And I was like, and to, the, to the point where he came up there and I was like, I was like, good, you're going to be the head of the class with me. 
I'm like, you'll be the one. I gave him a sense of responsibility. Mm -hmm. So now to let him know, hey, the kids are following you. They're watching you. So I need you to do something good for me. And you're working for me. You're working with me. And then he felt a sense of fulfillment. Like, oh, I'm needed. I'm wanted. So he was up there. I was like, you tell, you pick the kids that have the questions. I said, you go to them. You stand next to them like you got a microphone. And, you know, you cut them off at their time. (laughs) He loved it. And so when his class cycled out, he went to his next class. Tell me why the teacher came and got me to come talk to him in the next class because she was having an issue with him. Hmm. So she just didn't know where to go. So she's like, someone was like, oh, he's listening to her. Yeah. Go talk to her. See what she did. But it's like, I can't stay there forever, but we, I can give her the tidbits to be like, hey, make him a leader. Yeah. Make him the front of the class. Mm-hmm. He wants attention. Give him his attention. Just make it in a good way. Right. So, but at the end of the day, you guys can find us uh, on Instagram. Facebook and Twitter at Audia4DA. So that's A-U-D-I-A-F-O-R-D-A. Uh, we have our birthday fundraiser coming up. This yes. is not for the kids, so they should be in bed anyways. <laughs> uh, but you guys are all invited. We have our birthday fundraiser, which is going to be a great event. It literally is my birthday that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kim's birthday is the day before. So uh, she's, you know, my chief of staff, like the, one of the heartbeats of the of the squad. So sure, sure. Um, we will be celebrating. It's going to be a great time. We're going to have live music. It's going to be at the Bison Art Gallery. Okay. Uh, the links are up, so just make sure you RSVP. We already sold out of our first 100 set of tickets so if you're watching this please go on there rsvp we opened up some more tickets um but come out in your best dress 5 30 to 12 a.m um we'll have adult things beverages (laughs) and (laughs) november 8th november 8th november 8th 8th, live music and we are going to have a young man named daryl um who will be coming he's going to be our featured speaker Hmm. uh, along with our host um he spent 24 years in prison serving a life sentence without parole. Um, he was wrongfully convicted by a, uh, a prosecutor that withheld evidence. 24 mm. years. Um, so imagine getting in trouble and staying in jail for one day. This man stayed in jail, in prison, in prison mm. for 24 years. And um, he's going to talk about like the behind-the-scenes stuff, like the When They See Us, mm. how they, you mm. know, they were able to bring that to light. Like the family is trapped in prison with them. You know, the the type of food he's eating, what he's being exposed to, the mental health issues, uh, the the solitary confinement, um, the maggots in his food. I, he would talk to me one day. He's like, I, Audie, he's like, I got my plate of food. He's like, my rice was literally moving. It was maggots in my rice. You know, and this is, and he's yeah. like, you know, people think it's like three hots in a cot. Like, the, the bed is on the, on the floor. You, people are brushing their teeth out of the toilet, you know. And so it, this, is, this is real life. And um, if you want to hear about, you know, the truth with our criminal system and how we're trying to change and how we're trying to affect lives come out November 8th, 5.30 p.m. to 12 a.m. We will also enjoy ourselves afterwards. Um, but it will be some serious points. For sure. Uh, but yeah. got a meeting. Yes. Be there. Yes. Sure. Come on out. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Audio. Thank you, Deandre, for uh, opening up. Great conversation. This is episode eight. I will see you guys on the next one. Peace. Looking for a one-stop shop for all your audio and video needs? Then look no further than Always Press Record Productions. With over 100 hours of original content produced, Always Press Record Productions has an experienced staff on hand ready to assist you with all your YouTube, podcast, and music video needs. Check them out at alwayspressrecord.com. Once again, that's alwayspressrecord.com. And remember, they press record and you become the star.